man. Hello, fellas. How are you? Um, Good. Uh, Good. There's, there's the man. Hey, I was I was just telling Bob. I want this. I want the, you know. I told you the text about. Hey, let's have a beer. And Bob said, "Where's your beer?" And I said, "All right, I get my beer right here." In the middle of the day, are we? Are, are we? Uh, we no, you can't. This. <laughs> have, we been, have we been recording this the whole time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Bob said, hey, "Where's your beer? Here it is. In the middle of the day. Here we go. Oh, in the middle of the day on church property. Unbelievable. You are you are radical and aggressive." Welcome to the Aggressive Life. This is Brian Tome, your host. You know, every once in a while, I have to remind myself that this is my podcast, and I'll do whatever I freaking want. It's my podcast, and I'll do whatever I freaking want to. Do whatever I freaking want to. Do whatever I freaking want to. You would do it, too, if you had your own podcast. Anyway, there it is. So I've got a couple guests today. I don't think we've we've never had three people at the same time in different locations, but that's what we got going on right now. But I do know I've been hearing this question again and again and again and again and again. The question is, have you listened to the Mars Hill podcast? It's actually called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's a podcast put up by Christianity Today, which is a leading Christian publication. It is fantastic. Yes, yes, I've listened to it. I've listened to it. It chronicles the rise and fall of a church and its head senior pastor, uh, Mark Driscoll, who's still alive and kicking today. And it actually casts a lot of doubt over churches that are big and growing. Um, It's hard to come away from that without thinking, oh my gosh, if a church is growing, something must be wrong. Something is going wrong someplace. And not necessarily. So I got three guys. Oh, I haven't even talked to these guys about this at all. I just called them up and said, yeah, 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 let's get together and talk about it. Here, here they are. Uh, less than five years ago, Steve Carter was a teaching pastor at one of the largest and most influential churches in the nation, Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. He was primed and handpicked to lead the church as his aging mentor began plans to retire. Then allegations of sexual abuse and misconduct against Steve's mentor, Bill Hybels, the man who started Willow Creek, started to emerge and believing the leadership of the church to be mishandling the allegations and with new ones coming to light, Steve went home on a Sunday and typed out his resignation. He was 38. It was his dream job. The apex of somebody who has a teaching gift, being able to talk to thousands and tens and thousands of people. And uh, he's with us today. Steve, how are you? I'm good, man. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you on the, on this podcast. Well, good to be with you, too. And also, we have Bob Merritt. For nearly three decades, Bob was the lead pastor of Eagle Brook Church, the largest church in Minneapolis, excuse me, in Minnesota. In his tenure, it grew from 400 people to 50,000 people on a weekend across nine sites and online streaming. But it wasn't all rainbows and sunshine. Through his tenure, Bob was forced to confront anger, unforgiveness, the busyness of life through the help of a counselor, and what he learned changed him deeply, and he credits it to saving both his career and his marriage. These guys are both personal friends of mine. All three of us have been in settings where tens of thousands of people have been influenced by our leadership or in, or in our church. All three of these people are good, godly men. None of them are brave enough to have a beer with me right now at three o'clock in the afternoon on church premises. None of them are, none, none of them are that aggressive bunch of little weenie boys. Cause I said, we we're going to have this, like we we're having some beers, but no, I'm the only one, but that's all right. How are you guys, Bob? How are you doing today? Good. Gloves just came off. So let's go, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, honored to be with you and uh, good to see you, Steve, as well. Be with you. Great to see you. Great to see you, Bob. Now, have you guys known each other before uh, our interaction right now, Steve and Bob? Yeah, you know, what's interesting is, so while I was at Willow, obviously, you know, in the Midwest, uh, there are a handful of pastors who are just held in such high regard. Bob Merritt was one of them. I mean, everywhere you go, 
people people just rave about obviously his leadership, his humility, his integrity, character, all of that stuff. But he was also on the board of uh, the Global Leadership Summit, and so knew of him. It, his role connected to the WCA, Willow Creek Association. And so um, there was a moment where uh, he stepped away uh, before I had stepped away. And I'll never forget, probably, I don't know, maybe nine months to a year after I left, we got on the phone and we had not talked. We had not interacted. We had no email exchange. We obviously know similar people. And it was a, it felt like, uh, two dear friends uh, who had never actually met, but had exchanged similar stories and just were grieving, mm-hmm. grieving the reality um, and um, also still having great hope in the local church. And so um, we, this is actually the first time we've actually seen each other face to face, but well, obviously I've, I've seen, watched. I've seen you preach many times, Steve. Yeah. Like, like you said, we've known each other through the, you know, the process of teaching and preaching from afar, but it was like just picking up, uh, talking to an old friend because yeah. we'd been through so much, uh, in common, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I've leaned into both of you heavily, Steve and I kind of rekindled our, or kindled our acquaintance slash friendship several years ago when all the stuff at Willow Creek was going down. Bill Hybels was a mentor to me from afar uh, he had an absolute influence on me. He came to the church that I started called Crossroads and helped us with our very first building campaign and was very significant in that. Um, I've spent some roundtable discussions with him. I, you know, he it just uh, had had massive, massive impact on me. And so when all that stuff started going down with multiple women talking about him abusing his influence, coming on to them, a bunch of stuff happened in Willow, and Steve and I just kind of reached out. Actually, I think Steve, I think he react, reached out after I wrote an article on it. Is that how we did that? Actually, I think we had a mutual friend that connected us, and you, I needed people in my life who actually had a leadership gear, and I just, I remember just like reaching out once to you, and you were so gracious, and like you texted, you picked up the phone, you were just super helpful, just helping me uh, raise above the fray and actually have higher values. So for me, I was like, dude, I, I'm a, I'm a huge Brian Tome fan because in the moment I needed some real wisdom and you were one of the the handful of people that God really put in my life. So forever grateful for you, man. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful for you too. And just to keep the mutual admiration society going here, I'm also grateful for Bob. <laughs> I don't know if I ever actually told you this, Bob, what, what, what hit me so much when you, when you announced you were you're retiring, you said, I know what some of you guys are thinking. You're looking at me and you're saying, Bob, you're on top of your game. Bob, you're, you're in fit. You're in shape. You're ready to go. Why now? And then you said, but I'm not. <laughs> you said, I am tired. I am worn out. I, I got to just take long walks with my dog and, and look, for, look for ducks. And I... And I've, I've leaned into Bob a number of times here over the last couple of years is, you know, I've had my tail between my legs and I've been a beat wet pup saying, <laughs> help me out here. So this is, this is good stuff. So rise and fall of Mars Hill. Let's talk about the one that everybody's talking about. Cause here, here's what, here's what bothers me about it. Here's what bothers me. It's an amazing series. It's awesome. It's wonderful. Anybody should listen to it. But what bothers me about it or doesn't bother me, the series doesn't bother me so much, but what comes out of it is Everyone is very cynical and um, pessimistic about churches that are large when you come out of that, especially if you're a pastor that remotely reminds somebody of like of Mark Driscoll. So if you have a, if you're interested in reaching men, if you're interested in shooting straight, if you're interested in challenging, that kind of stuff, oh, you must be a, a Mark Driscoll. We just don't know about it. That's what I feel like. And I feel like um, we should just let people see there's some different things out there other than what they're reading or listening to about that. What was your guys' reaction about that podcast? You know, I I listened to the first episode and I and I it just kind of made me ill. There's something about wanting to know all the ick that goes on in another leader, but it just really weakened me, um, my spirit. I, I just didn't want. That's all I needed was one episode, and I, I kind of knew the story. I kind of got the deal. Because it really affected my spirit, 
it just felt like I don't need to hear this whole ugly thing. Yeah. I've heard enough of this kind of stuff. I was up close to, uh, you know, in a different way there will a little bit. And I, I've been through the mud on that. And I think I still have some wounds from that. And so when I heard the Mars Hill thing, I thought, oh, this, this is taking me back to places I don't want to, I don't want to revisit right now. Okay. So yeah, the, the Willow stuff for you and Steve is more personal to me. For me, it's more theoretical. That's, yeah. You know, but you, know, you guys. I, I, you know. With with Bill, Bill was a close friend, close friend, not just a, like you, Brian, and, and Steve, I'm sure Bill's influence has been all over my life in church. And so uh, I would not be where I am or our church would not be where it was were it not for Bill's leadership and the things he taught and how he led. I have tremendous regard for bill and what he did for me and for our church at the same time i don't think he fully came clean and i don't think he fully uh admitted to to what went on um i have my own personal viewpoints of uh, what actually transpired in, in some of those accusations but um i will forever be indebted to him for his leadership his obedience to christ for how he led the church at the same time, he had some flaws that ultimately exempted him from leadership. And so I, I just had deep wounds from that still to this day. In fact, when you called for this podcast, I had a visceral reaction <laughs> in my gut. Do I really want to do this? And that's why I called you, Brian, and said, hey, I don't really want to go there. Yeah, well, you've actually gone further than I thought you were going to go. Yeah, so I kind of did. <laughs> you don't even have any beers. You don't even have a beer. Uh, Normally, no. you have to have a few beers to loosen up Bob Merritt's lips. But no, Jeez. not today. This is this is a group therapy session. <laughs> no, but I think I, Bob, I think you're I think you're spot on. You know, I, I, this is this isn't the term that I would use that I came up with, but someone wrote about this and called it failure porn. That there was this 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 sense of like we love watching the failures of another, and it's it, it's as it's as destructive as porn. You know what I mean? And there's just this sense of like, oh my goodness, finally they caught Driscoll, or finally they got it, finally. And and in some ways, like again, Mike Cosper and Christian today, I think the production value of that podcast, I I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, it feels like serial. It feels like. The music, the ins, the outs, it's amazing. Um, but I I mean, I was I was at the Raleigh airport and I'm have my you know AirPods in, I'm listening to episode two, eyes are closed, and I'm just waiting for my flight. And all of a sudden I hear Heibel's voice. And I did not see that coming. And it just it was the first time I had heard his voice in four years. I felt the and same way. Was, That's crazy. I, I just this moment of like, wait, 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 like, where am I? Like I just and all of that, like that rush, that PTSD, all of this sense of like, what are they going to say? What are they going to feel? What is what, uh, all, all of it? Wow. And and just realizing, like, uh, I have those same feelings, Bob, in the sense of I walk into a church today, and I, you know, I preach every weekend at some different church, and I will sit there and I can hear the great things I learned from Hybels, that transition wasn't, wasn't tight. The lighting's often there. The sound's not great. There was a, you know, like the things I learned via osmosis and you realize what this, I think the conversation truly is, is that success can take you places that character can often sustain you. We need, we need to hear more of the stories of the Bob Merritts of the world. We have all of the stories of the dudes who have fallen. We don't have the stories of the Bob Russells and the Bob Merritts, the guys who finished right. the race well. Right. And, I, and I think that's that's one of the tension. And the truth is, that doesn't sell, finishing the race well. And then you got folks like Robbie Zacharias, who you think finished well, but no, he was getting hand jobs by people he was, you know, paying their business. And, and he was, you know, you go, you go oh my, we, we thought, okay, Billy Graham, he he finished, woohoo! And he did. And then it was okay. We got Billy Graham. Okay. Oh, we got Robbie Zacharias. No, we don't. That one's ripped away. We don't have Robbie Zacharias. So we got we got we got Jesus finished well. We got Billy Graham, uh, Bob Merritt. Unless uh, something's happened with you, Bob, you haven't come clean on yet. Anything happened there uh, underneath your desk? <laughs> no. But... <laughs> 
But I, I lived with a, a, a great fear. Uh, it just was a scary place to be. So I'm, I'm just, I've always, by the way, I've always kind of lived under the radar. Um, you know, people used to joke, we're the largest church in the nation that no, nobody knows about. And we love that. And I, I'm probably one of those pastors that very few people know about. And that that's really partly by design, but partly I'm just, I'm just afraid of the lights. I'm afraid of exposure. Um, I, I'm a little nervous about this podcast, especially with you, Brian, holding a beer and, you know, you're on your second one now. I'm like, I'm, not- <laughs> you know, I'm just a little nervous <laughs> about the whole thing. Any kind of exposure, uh, you know, with, with my voice or my face in front of it, I'm, I'm always, I know that there's a little bit of risk there. And I just, I've always been shy of that because I, I, that's not what it's about for me. Right. It's about being faithful to what God has called me to, to do and be. And, you know, the lights and the names and the magazines and the, and the invitations to speak here and there, you can have it. Yeah. You can have it. Not, I'm not talking about you guys in particular. You know, that's just not me. That's not my game. My game was and my, my calling was to lead and be faithful to this church, to Eagle Brook Church. And so I, I didn't want to travel and I didn't want to uh, speak at conferences. I didn't want to really write a book or two. And I've written a few, but I didn't even want to do that. I was just kind of dragged into it. Yeah. Uh, so exposures for me is a, is, a, is a really risky thing. I just don't like it. I have an aversion to it. What's really odd to me about, about uh, Bill is the things that, many of us have learned about them, about him or learned from him in the final days just weren't followed through. Like one of the things that we've all had in churches where we are is a lot of people leave staff or there's people who you have to have leave staff. There's some organizational dynamics. And we, I try to tell people, look, this is not your family. There's a performance aspect of being on staff that there's no performance in your family. When you're in your family, you can't get kicked out of the family because of your bad performance. Here you can. This is not a family. We want to be a healthy biblical community, but we're not a family. And so when somebody leaves staff or you have to ask somebody to leave staff, it can, it's always very, very painful. And one of the lines that Bill used all the time, and he would talk about this in some of our roundtable discussions I had with them when someone would leave, leave. I'm curious if you guys know, what, what was his big line? It was, how you leave is how... You'll be remembered. Right. Right. It's just really sad he couldn't take his own advice on this. I mean, I just kept waiting for Bill. I'm still rooting for him if he gets this podcast. Like, dude, man, it's not too late to do a full repentance. No one who repents or is vulnerable gets dinged. Nobody. Like, how you leave is just leaving and saying, well, that's not the whole story, whatever he said, it, it just, it's just really disheartening. I, I, I would love for some pastor to model really, really well repentance. And there's not that many of us who are doing that, whether it's huge churches or small churches. This, it, it's, a, it's, it's almost like when you have an NFL player, and we've seen this, where he strikes his girlfriend in an elevator, it's on video, and all of a sudden we have it. You can have reports of some sense of abuse, but it was like we had evidence. And I think what's so hard is for some, they're like, we don't have evidence. I mean, I, I hear that. I get emails from people about, about Bill. And then in other settings, I'm like, the, the guy that I know, the guy that I choose to believe at the most healthy, I want to believe someday is going to stand in front of a group a room or stand in front of a computer and type something out, go online and simply say, Hey, here's, here's where I blew it. And here's where I powered up. Here's where I abused relationships. Here's where um, I abused trust that congregation had me. Here's where I abused women. Like here's, here's where I did this. And, and, and here's the thing, like the way into faith is when you faith in Christ is you admitting I was wrong, but something happens. The more that you get into power and the more you get into leadership is you stop ever saying I was wrong. And it it becomes harder and harder to admit that you're wrong because 
the cost is greater and greater. And I think that's what great humble leaders do is I got this wrong. I got this wrong. And they model repentance. I think that's the big thing is why is it so hard for leaders to actually repent and return home on a regular basis? Well, you tell me, what, why do you think it is? You said it gets, it's harder when the church is larger. I don't, I guess, I don't, I don't know that I agree with that. What, why do you think that's true? I don't mean it, I don't mean it larger, larger in size. I just think it's like in a sense of when you start getting to more and more power, it just gets it like you have more and more things, people that you've got to provide for from a staffing standpoint. People, if I if this gets out, I'm going to let people down. Like you have more people who, you know, you've had this. We've all had this as leaders, people who are like in our inner circle and they don't want to upset you because you're actually funding their, their mortgage payment. Mm. And I, rem, I remember my mentor back in the day when I first got my first job, got my first house. And he just said, hey. Don't let that mortgage payment stop you from, from speaking prophetically because now you have something to lose and don't live your life with like fearful of losing stuff. And I, I think that somehow the bigger it gets um, or the more power, and again, this could be 200 people starting out with 20 people and getting to a church of 200. It could be 2000, it could be 20, but any sense of influence where you're like, dude, if I admit this, will people leave the church? If I admit that I struggle with this, will people be frustrated? Will people not see me with the same kind of respect? And that's, I mean, and the leaders I love the most are the ones who go first, who lead with the limp, who are honest and human. I mean, Brian, you're that way. Um, I'm not looking for a perfect leader. I'm just looking for an honest and relatable and human leader. Not someone who says he has the best marriage, but someone who's working the hardest on their marriage, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Steve, I don't disagree with anything you said. I will say this, that the amount of leadership acumen and and teaching level that Bill has and had was off the charts, world-class. And that was real and is real. Uh, But with that came a tremendous growth and tremendous exposure, worldwide exposure, he couldn't walk through an airport without being noticed five, six, seven, ten times. Uh, everywhere he went, uh, people acknowledged him and wanted photos with him, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know the human being who can handle that well. That kind of attention, that kind of, I don't know, you know, almost call it worship of a person, um, I think is very, very difficult to handle. And I, I think that, you know, for Bill, it, it, it kind of got to his, it became who he was and uh, he got used to that and, and felt that maybe he was above some things. And uh, nobody knows to this day what really went on. We don't. Oh, come on. No, I, I, um, no. Are you going to say something I'm going to disagree with here? Come on. You can disagree all you want. I don't think anybody to this day knows entirely what went on because it's it happened in, in airplanes, hotels, whatever, one-on-one, two-on, whatever. And it's, okay. I mean, no one knows I, specifics. I no one knows specifics, but come on. Are you actually doubting that there's here, here hyper inappropriate things done with women? Here was my public statement. I stand by it. And I, I made this to the board and, and others. And it was this. I don't believe Bill committed gross sexual misconduct. I do believe he said things and did things around women that made them feel very uncomfortable. And it was inappropriate for him to be in certain places with, with women alone. Now, I I think that, um, again, he said things and did things that were tremendously inappropriate and were way below what a leader should be doing. And I, I think what happened was probably uh, warranted. And to, to your point, Steve, being able to say, Hey, I'm sorry, never came my way as a friend. That's the thing that wounds me the most. There was never even, Hey, Bob, I'm sorry to have put you through this as a board member. I'm sorry to the board, right or wrong, whether the accusations were right or wrong. I am so sorry. I never heard a word of apology. That's what really got me. And that, 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 points to a, a, a character issue, a lack of ownership and humility and, and just apology. I just, 
don't get that. Yeah, I th- I think it's probably. I don't know what it is. I I think we I think all of us have a hard time repenting, you know. And I I don't know if it's harder when the church is larger or smaller. I know I just had to do that. We had a train wreck of a weekend a couple months ago here at Crossroads. I had an outside speaker in. It just was the wrong topic with the wrong wrong tone and the wrong. It was just, and I just had next weekend just you know take responsibility and ask for people's forgiveness. And um, it was very very difficult. Not it was difficult. Why I just said it was very why was it difficult? It wasn't difficult at all for me spiritually. I'm very happy and content revealing that I am flawed and I do stupid things. It wasn't it wasn't difficult from that standpoint at all. It was difficult saying what you really wanted to say and not have people put words in your mouth or you didn't say exactly what other people wanted to say or whatever. It's just like stuff just swirls around. But that's the kind of what I'm upset with Bill. You know, again, how you relieved, how you remember. We're, we're having this conversation because a man never was honest. A man never had his words. A never, man never said his peace. A man never, never, never repented or never officially defended. He I mean, it's just, just really really bad and then vaporize you just vaporize in the middle of the night while there's just a lot of hurt people and a lot of hurt things it just it just it just really it just it just sucks it really does um, you know one thing one thing bob you said that i think is i think is spot on and i think this is where the self-awareness of leaders it's just required it's just required is as things start to grow more opportunities become available you made a conscious choice to recognize for your livelihood, for your soul, for your own self-awareness. Like, I don't, I don't want to be the conference guy. I don't want to be traveling. I, I, I got a hard enough thing trying to lead many, many congregations in one state. Um, But you made that decision to actually know your limits. And I think that's, I think that's the, that's the hardest part for any leader is to have to recognize this is a limit I have. And you know what? Like I, and I think for some guys, they, and women and men, they just don't want to ever come to that or never have to to wrestle with that or have honest conversations. Brian, like, I think what you've been able to do with Crossroads, I mean, the, the, the ways that your church has grown and you're like, you're out on motorcycles, like you're like doing, and your church is flourishing. That's not what every guy can do. But sometimes I think younger leaders go, well, Brian Tom's doing a show on Amazon. That's what I need to be doing. And, and Bob Merritt's written a book. That's what I need to be doing. And they're at this conference and they're not asking questions. What's best for them? What's best for their family? What's best for their congregation? And so they start reaching instead of leading from a healthy and whole place. And I think that's when you start getting yourself into trouble because the, the evangelical machine, they're going to create opportunities for you. And I think that's where you have to have that, that healthy awareness. And both of you guys, in my opinion, have modeled that, which has been a gift to me personally. So, Brian, I, I agree with uh, Steve here about your own leadership. But have there been times in your life, Brian, when you've come close to the edge of like, man, I've had it. Yeah, like right now. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I am too. Uh, I, I, I view you as, as this strong stallion of a leader and you are and you've created you know through through the lord's leading you you create one of the best churches in the nation ever ever to be on planet earth and but i i I think all three of us can agree this is the hardest thing we've ever done and it it brought me to my knees i mean it just brought me to the edge of myself and i didn't want to i don't want to damage myself or my marriage or my kids you know but, but have you been close to the edge, Brian? Yes, I've been. Yeah, Steve said, "Yeah, well, Grace Church is thriving." I, I don't, I don't feel the thing I'm leaving is thriving at all. Get my ass kicked. It, it, do, it doesn't matter what I do or what I say. It's not good enough for half of our church. It doesn't doesn't matter. Uh, you know, COVID and race stuff and you know vaccine stuff and mask stuff and political stuff and it, it's just dividing. Everybody, everybody is divided. When you have everybody who's worn out and angry 
and has a core value of personal autonomy, you have a recipe for disaster. And so when you have a church that has a bunch of people like that because they're normal Americans, it's rough and it's tough and it's difficult. It's awful. No, so I'm no, I am not doing well. No, I'm I'm not I'm not doing well at all. This has been a this has been a an awful environment for me. Uh, I want to be accessible to people. I want I don't want everything to go through my assistant. And so I am, for the most part. I don't I'm not responding to all of my Instagram messages and stuff like that personally. But stuff gets to me and a lot of people have my personal email and send it to me and all that stuff. And I, I, I've decided not to change my email and keep that up. It's, it's been very good and healthy. But man, I tell you, when you, when you tell people, when you tell people, hey, we just had somebody die inside of the church. It was a young father who was scheduled for the vaccine in, in four days. And then you talk to his widow who feels like, it's kind of his legacy that she wants people to get vaccinated and she did her whole thing on Facebook and you just have this, this, this the family just crumbled because he didn't get the vaccine and you talk to people who were, I don't even want to talk about that. I, this is not about the vaccines. All I'm saying is like, even just saying this right now, I just get pelted, pelted. Have you ever heard this guy? Have you done this guy? Or a close family member will say, well, do me a personal favor and do this webinar and and it doesn't matter what I say one way or the other. It's just they just come at you non nonstop, and it's tough, man. It's tough. That's just one of my one of my little sectors that's, that's difficult. Yeah. So I, you know, I, when we've talked about some of these things, Brian, one of the things I did to get on the solution side of some of this, just I knew that rogue, a rogue wave was going to hit. Uh, you can't, you can't predict them. They come every three six months or so. But out of the, it can, can be a number of things. It can be a staff person. Can be a a board member it could be, uh, you know, a financial crisis or whatever. But a, a rogue wave is coming your way as a pastor. I don't care who you are; it's going to hit you. And if if you are uh, pushing your limits every single week, uh, your emotional limits, your physical limits, you're not getting exercise, not eating right, you're back to back with meetings, you don't have time for your family, you don't have time for yourself. If if that's your mo, you know, twenty four seven. When that rogue wave hits, you're out. You're done. Right. And so I, I, I kind of knew that uh, intuitively. Now, there are seasons you simply you simply have to go. You have to go 24-7. You're going crazy. Just, there's, you know, you're raising money for buildings, for example. That's a season of just madness. But after that, you know, you need to dial it back and, and say no to some things and start eliminating things from your schedule that are unnecessary to the mission or not vital to the mission of reaching people for Christ and growing your church. So I knew that. And so I always had a reserve, at least tried to build a reserve in my life, in my calendar, in my spirit for that time when I knew that wave is going to hit me and I better have enough uh, whatever it is, energy to deal with that. Well, the problem is that the the rogue wave has lasted two years for the average yeah, pastor. You're right. <laughs> you know, rogue wave comes in and wipes you out. Like, oh, we haven't been able to pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off. It's like it's non-ending pressure cooker for the average pastor or leader. Leader, we're pastors here, but it's it it's awful. Just it's just awful. Brian, I think you're 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 looking at something. It takes me back to like when I was in third grade playing second base in a little Mustang baseball league and a guy hits a ground ball and I do what I was taught in practice and I get in a perfect stance and I have my chest square on the ball. The ball takes a bad hop because the fields are terrible and it comes up and it hits me in the face and it breaks my cheekbone and I, I my eye starts swelling up. And I realized, and I, you know, third grade, start crying and grab my glove and I walk straight to the car. And my dad was driving me to the hospital. He's like, what, how are you feeling? And I'm like, I'm so angry because I did what my coach told me to do mm. and it didn't work. And I, and I feel like what's happening for a lot of leaders is they're doing it the way they've done it or they're doing it the right way and it's not working. So you, 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 you're an aggressive leader. You're like, you're pushing, you're driving, you're pointing people. Like you're, you're, you're like, you're not some guy who's sitting passively on the sidelines. You're out front and you've been doing this. I've been doing this beautifully. And, 
in, in, in honest and human and broken ways for 20 some years. And yet now it's like, well, 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 and it's like, I'm, I'm doing it the right way, but because of everybody else, it's like people right. are now putting that on you. Right. And that's, that, that's right. one of the hardest pieces where, and I was talking with one other pastor and they said the Ravi situation, it wasn't what he just did to the women. It's what he did to all of us. Right. Because we are all wrapped up in that story and I'm doing it the same way he was doing it in the, my desire for teaching the Bible, helping people. And he messed it up for me too. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that perception piece, man, that's hard because right. you, when you're trying to do it the right way. So I don't know. That well, just he, he made it harder. He didn't totally mess it up for you or me yes. or anybody else. He made it more difficult. And you know, all of these stories make it more difficult. All the more, for, you know, my prayer for you is to finish well, to finish these last 10 years with integrity, with your life intact, your marriage intact, your kid, your church intact you know, don't go down that same road. So whatever, whatever it takes for you to model life and of integrity to your, your congregation, we don't have to be the next, whoever it is. That's my biggest prayer for you and you as well, Steve, and for all of us, be, be the guy or the, the, the leader who says enough's enough. And what do I need to do to make sure my life and my character is, is in the right place so that I'm not another one on the, you know, on the list of people who have just, Train wreck. Well, and this is one of the things I think is great about us three. All of us, we're not like tight bosom buddies who are getting together every week, um, all three of us, but we have a high degree of trust in one another and the ability to listen to one another. And that was one of the things about the Mars Hill situation that was just sad. You know, Mark, Mark Driscoll, I know him vaguely. I mean, vaguely shaking, shook his hand a couple times. I, I shared a Uber with him and two other guys one time. But, you know, when you listen to that, listen to what happened and what, what took place there, it's, it's not so much all that what he did that was awful. Because sometimes the guy would speak, I'd hear these things, I'd go, I'm like, damn, that is brilliant. That is utterly, utterly brilliant. And then you would, you would, I would immediately have grief like, gosh, why can't that be harnessed? And why can't that be harnessed? It's it just been bastardized. And it's, I think, because there's just a lack of relational connection, a lack of relational integrity, no one to say the difficult things, or you wouldn't listen to people who said the difficult things. And that's what that whole podcast says more to me, not so much about be very, very wary of manly men who have big churches. That's not the outcome. For me, the outcome is be be very, very wary of people who don't listen to other people and who are very, very insular. Agree? Agreed. Yep. Lack of humility. Lack of humility. Lack of humility. The flip side is arrogance. For again, I don't know Mark personally, tremendously gifted, fantastic teacher. But if you don't have if you're not humble enough to admit, dial it back to, I mean, just there, there's a persona there that is so strong, uh, so abrasive, brash. And can you just, can you just be humble and, and admit flaw? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, cause we all are, we're all, I mean, we all are. And so, uh, he was a he was a turnoff personally to me ten years ago, fifteen years ago when he showed up on the scene. Yeah, and then the book thing, the, the book fraud issue, you know, yeah. had the had the issue there. I mean, those are all signals of I, I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty good. I'm pretty above it. There's a number of people who have gone down in the last several years. I'll talk with somebody and they'll go like, "Oh gosh, I never saw that coming." And I look at them and go, "You're kidding, right?" You never saw that coming. You you have to be kidding me. You never saw that coming. I'm not, I'm not going to start naming who's who, but just about everybody who, a lot of people have gone down. We've run those circles or seen with them. And we've noticed they don't really pay attention to you when you're talking, unless you're the most important in the room, person in the room. When they are talking to you, they're glancing over their, your, your shoulder because they're looking for something else. Brian, if I could just turn it for one little second here. Yeah. Um, 
So one of the things in all of us and in all the leaders we've been talking about, myself included, is self-awareness, self-awareness or lack thereof. And I had it, still have it, but it took a it took a professional counselor working me over for a solid year, asking everybody in my world, when I was 42 years old, asking everybody who knew me, including my mother, all of my four siblings, my two children, David and, and Meg, all of my colleagues, 300 people on staff, everybody who knew me basically asked what's good about Bob, what's bad about Bob, and took the feedback and put it in a 230 page document of all the responses that these people had of me. And a lot of people use that as an opportunity to twist the knife as much as they could. But I sat for three days in his office as he and his assistant read back to me every statement that these people said about Bob Merritt. Mm. And it tore me up. Yeah. And I began hearing themes. Bob is loud. Bob doesn't care for people. Bob uh, abused his people verbally. He's angry a lot. When my son, when I heard this coach counselor read back to me what my son, David, who was 15 at the time said, he said, how come my dad is so angry all the time? I sat in that chair and just cried. And finally it hit me. Yeah, you got an anger problem. So, one of the things that I needed, one of the things that Mark Driscoll needs, one of the things that Bill Hybels needed, and by the way, he did, I think, receive counseling along the way. But that saved my career, probably saved my marriage. And I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. I wouldn't have retired with the good graces of the congregation, and I wouldn't have been able to do it. I would have been out of the game. Were it not for somebody intervening in my life saying, Hey, you got some issues you got to address. Well, Steve, you, you kind of have a book that is out that relates to just this thing. It's kind of the, the title, the thing beneath the thing. Tell us about that. And how's that tie into what Bob just mentioned about himself? Cause I certainly don't have any issues. I certainly don't have any anger problems. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't have, I don't have any things. <laughs> I, I am just happy go lucky, like slamming beers in the afternoon. Nothing wrong with me. Yeah, I'm about to swear. Right now. <laughs> no, well, you know, in Romans seven fifteen, Paul says, I do not understand what I do. Um, I think sometimes we fall into these traps of, you know, Bobby admitted it like just a second ago, like, man, why am I, what well, I don't, I don't want to be angry, but there's something that's, that's inside me. And so thing is this acronym, um, you know, triggers, uh, it's the setup that sets us off. And those triggers are past pain points, trauma, abuse, struggle in our story. And so we honor that truth. Every time someone gets close to one of those triggers, it's going to send us somewhere. The H is a hideout to some kind of metaphorical place to escape. And that could be socially acceptable ways or socially unacceptable ways. Or we get triggered and it leads us to insecurity. We create false stories about ourselves. We either power down or we power up. Both are insecurity. Or we create narratives. We get triggered and we're like, all those people. Talk radio, social media are literally billions of dollars being made off of trying to divide us rather than what actually unites us. And then the G is just about grace. And I think we have minimized what grace is. Um, We talk about grace will find you, but I actually believe grace will find you out. And where actually we begin to do the hard work to get what Bob did, listen to 260 some pages of of pain and have to go, all right, I'm going to go to work on that. And not just because I'm the, I'm the CEO of this, this organization or the senior pastor or, or what, like, I don't need to look at it. I'm actually going to go to work on this because I want to be a great husband and a great dad and I want to finish well. And, and so that's the heart of this book is helping people understand what triggers them, what's underneath it and where we tend to go when we get triggered to hide out insecurity and narrative and what, what it might look like if we actually invited actual grace into the pain of our story. The thing beneath the thing. What do we do for people who say that my pain comes from church hurt. The church has hurt me and that's where my pain is. What do we, what do we say or help those folks with? So real quick, I mean, I get this all the time. I mean, people come up to almost sometimes surprised that I still love the church. They're like, how can you love the church after what you went through? And I'm like, Willow didn't hurt me. The church didn't hurt me. Five people did. 
five people actually, in my opinion, they made decisions that hurt me and hurt my family and hurt the congregation. But that's not the whole church. It's five people who represent the church, but that's not the church. I can tell you about 2,000 people who represent the church as well, who have done incredible good in my life. And so for me, if I ever hear people start to say the church blanket statement hurt me, I'm like, no, 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 stop me. What's their name? What's their name? And, and I'm sorry that they hurt you, but that wasn't the church. They represent the church, but it was that one person or those two people, they made decisions to hurt you. And yes, they represent or they work for the church or blah, blah, but it was them. Acting in yeah, you said it, Steve, right there. You, and you in that you said, "I'm sorry." Yep. Hey, I've hurt people in the church. Yeah, me too. I know Brian has. Of course, I have. Yeah, I, I've hurt a lot of people, and the first thing I can I need to say is, "I'm sorry. I was wrong. I apologize for that." For other people, maybe it wasn't me. Maybe it was another church experience. And I'll tell you what, there's a boatload of people out there who don't will have sworn church off because the, the church or a, they had a bad church experience. And some of it's, I get it. There, there are some toxic environments out there, but it's not every church. And I'm so- quick to say there's a lot of great churches, yeah. more great churches than there are poor churches. So uh, don't let that one bad experience, you know, keep you away from what God wants to bring into your life, the blessing of a local church. I mean, yeah. yeah. First thing I'd say is I'm sorry for that. Yeah. I, I always will tell people, you know, uh, we're very, very perceptive. We're just often not great interpreters of reality. And I think we, we, we perceive something. Oh man, this, this thing hurt me, but it's the story we craft out of that. You know, they fired me. Well, there's probably more to that story. And how do you get curious about that? And what's, because again, wherever you are, there you are. You know what I mean? Like, and wherever you go, there you are. So if you can go to the next role and not deal with your performance issues and it's going to happen in the next place. Yes, it is. And so, you know, so I think it's like, who are those guides that actually can help you interpret what you're perceiving in a proper way? All right, man. We're coming down to the end of our time here. It's time for the lightning round. This is a very interesting thing because my uh, my special producer over here, known as Dirt, that's not his real name, but that's my nickname for him. Dirt puts these together, and I actually have not looked at these. I have not looked at these. So we're going to do first ever. We're all going to answer these lightning round questions. And here's the here's the, the rules of the game. The rules of the game is you can only have one or two sentences. That's it. No long soliloquies, no teaching pastor time, Steve Carter. No, I'm the grand poobah of retired senior pastors, Bob Merritt. No, this is just, you get one or two sentences. Can you, can you rise the challenge of the lightning round? No Let's go. Let's go. All right. And I'll go too. I'm going to read it. My, I'm going to read it the first time. Biggest lesson you were taking away from your time in church leadership. I have to feel like Jesus is okay with me, and that's enough. Stay focused on what really matters. The cadet's prayer says, choose the harder right instead of the lesser wrong. See, these are good communicators here. Everyone did it, Dirt. You see that? Everybody did like one sentence. That's- well, we, don't get, we don't wanna get yelled at. Because <laughs> yeah. you think I have an anger issue? Is that why, Bob? <laughs> I didn't say that. All right, okay, here we go. Best word of wisdom for a young leader. Mine is have close friends inside of your ministry. Close friends, yeah. Don't be afraid to ask for help and get some professional help. Beg for the full truth and change adversity into opportunity. Best word of wisdom for a seasoned leader. Same as for a young leader. Get help. Professional. You need it. Yeah. Oh, I, we all need it. I'd give something different. Not that the young leader wouldn't have the same stuff, but I would also say, I see this amongst a lot of seasoned leaders, I would say, find out how to have fun. The older we get, the more fun gets squeezed out of us, and it will lead to your downfall. Yeah. I was I, Hobbies was what came to me. Is like- Really? 
Yeah, have hobbies. And most of the guys I know don't have them. So what's your hobby, Steve? We'll go off 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 script here. What's what's your hobby? Anything with sports, and then anything in the water. Bob, you? Anything in the woods and following my dog through a pheasant field. Yeah, mine is anything camping on motorcycle or overland vehicle, or killing something like honey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what gives you hope for the future of the church? Well, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. Nothing can prevail against it. It's going to prevail. It's going to succeed. It's, it's, it's still our greatest hope in this world. Hold on. I've drank more water than I ever have. I'm going to piss my pants. I can go pee. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Oh, here it comes. <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. Welcome back to the aggressive life. So I had dinner with this guy last night, and he said, hey, there's five things. If you want to stay healthy, there's five things. And he started listing these five things. And um, one of them he listed was you have to drink half of your body weight in ounces every day. And I was like, yeah, I'm, re- I'm, I'm really weak at doing that. I'm, I'm going to do that today. So I weigh, I don't know, about 200 pounds. So 100 ounces of water. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm like, I'm almost there so far today. And at the beginning of our interview, I'm going, oh, I feel, that's all right. I can choke it back. And then things were very interesting and I forgot about it. And all of a sudden I was like, no, there's no choking back. And how much water do you guys drink? Am I, am I weird in this aspect? You're weird. Yeah. It's weird. I'm probably about, you know, 64 ounces. In the desert, I never used to drink a lot of water. Now being out here in Phoenix, yeah. it's just so hot. You have to drink water. Yeah. Gosh. Well, well, so you're in Phoenix. You're in the place where, you know, Mark Driscoll's new church is in Phoenix. Is there, is there, what's, what's the, what's the word on the ground there? Or is it just, this is just something in Christian circles that listen to Christianity Today podcast and it's no news amongst Christians in Phoenix. Well, you know, every place that I've ever been is is unique, but I would say that Phoenix is is very very unique because it's the spirit of John McCain like hovers over this place and it's it's like so it's a bunch of mavericks, it's a bunch of small business owners. They're not really like there's no really celebrity when it comes to church world in Phoenix. I mean, it's a it's a unique space. Um and so from a culture standpoint, um I don't I don't hear very much about Driscoll. I mean, I, I hadn't, I mean, outside of Twitter and the rise and fall of Mars Hill, I just don't hear much about it here in Arizona. Interesting. The spirit of John McCain. So that, that Maverick thing has overtaken the, the region. I think so. I mean, I, and, and again, a lot of it is like, don't tell me what to do. You know what I mean? Which only in this season is, makes it probably more and more difficult to lead because, you know, I'm not going to wear a mask or I am going to wear a mask. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that personal rights stuff has made it harder for a lot of leaders. That's good. All right, final question. And as I read this, I don't think this is a lightning round question. This is just some good stuff here. So you don't have to contain yourself to one or two sentences. Last question for us today. In a world of social media influencers and celebrity pastors, how do I know if somebody's legit? How do I know if somebody's worth my time? How do I know those kind of things? I would say I would look really close to see how long-term the inner circle is. If you're with somebody, you're following somebody who doesn't have a lot of close people who are in their inner circle, and if it's just a social media influencer, it's going to be hard for you to know who works for them and how long they work for them. But stability in inner circle relationships, not just your family relationships, but stability in inner circle relationships says a lot of things about how humble somebody is. Humility is not weak weakness. Humility is power under control. It says a lot about how somebody can bear with somebody else's burdens. It says a lot about how somebody can be patient with people who are different than them. It says a lot about how, about how people around them think about them as they see them and respect them. So that's what I look would, would, would look at. How about you guys? I don't know about the number one thing. I don't know if I could isolate isolate it down to one thing. 
Um, a leader has to be a, a man of character or a woman of character uh, for sure. And, and humility, again, I've touched on it before, is, is right up there with, with the most important uh, character. But at the same time, they have to be gifted and passionate. They have, they have to be all in. They have to be all in about, you know, the mission of, of reaching people and changing people's lives. And that has to, they, they have to bleed that. It's got to be alive in you. And that's where authenticity comes. That's where the power comes in preaching. I just see too many pastors trying to copy some celebrity personality and, and it's a failure. How about you, Steve? What would you look for? Napoleon said leadership is defining reality and bringing hope. And I, I'm looking for a leader who can define reality within themselves, within an organization, um, and that one who has the, the gifting and ability to articulate hope for, that, for themselves, for their team, for their organization. I just think that too many leaders are, are wanting to bring hope, but they have not been able to actually um, assess what the real pain or ache or struggle is um, within them and within their, their, their mission or organization. So define reality, then bring hope. Guys, anything, anything else you want to add on that or anything else? Uh, a couple of years ago, I had the chance to, to meet the Pope. The night before meeting the Pope at the Vatican, I met with his social media director who ends up being this historian of Catholicism. So we're sitting down having dinner and he just said, hey, any questions you have about Catholicism? And I was like, hey, what do you do about Pope Borgia? Like bad Pope. This is way before any of the Willow stuff. So like this is before anything I know. I'm like, what, how do you do this? And he just said, hey, we don't in any way like minimize that story. But what I will tell you is this, that out of that pain and brokenness came new orders. The Jesuit order came out of the pain. And I think right now, even in the midst of the enemy going after some of these places, I think the conversation of character has never been higher. The conversation of formation has never been higher, at least in my ministry career. And I'm watching a lot of younger guys say, dude, I got to make sure that the enemy doesn't take me out. And I think in that sense, like I'm really, really hopeful for the future because I think a lot of guys are looking into their past, getting after the thing beneath the thing and saying, I'm not going to, I don't want that to be me. I think character and formation is becoming a bigger deal, especially within leaders. To Steve's point, yeah, I think those elements of character inside of our churches are going to be more important than ever. And that's also why a couple of years ago, I stopped submitting our numbers to the top 100 thing with Outreach Magazine. I just thought, you know what? Uh, I can feel myself here trying to look forward to what our numbers could be, to how we're going to be in that. I can, I can feel, I feel myself not making healthy decisions for the church's long-term future and almost becoming like corporate America that's focused on quarterly results instead of long-term health. Right. I, I think I'm starting to do that. And on top of that, let's go out on top. So let's just stop doing it right now. <laughs> it's never been about, hey, it's never been about being a big church. It's never been about how big, how many numbers we have. It's always been about how can we reach the next person? How can we reach our neighbor? How can we reach my family member? How can we bring another person, you know, into a relationship with Christ? And if, by the way, the church grows because of that, so be it. But that's never been the goal. Never been the goal for, for you or me or Steve. Never been the goal for us to be a big church. Amen. Never has. Growth is a result of doing the right things the right way. Oh, I'm going to write that one down. Growth is the result of doing the right things in the right way. Yeah. Bob, what about Bob? They're dropping the truth bombs. Thank you. I've written a couple of books, but people never buy them, so I'm, I'm done. <laughs> well, yeah, we had Steve pump his book. Steve, where can people find your book or uh, or get a hold of you, Steve? Yeah, uh, they can find the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold, and uh, steveryancarter.com. The Thing Beneath the Thing. How about you, Bob? If someone wants to get in your stuff or follow up with you, how can they do that? Oh, they can go to my website. No, I don't have a website. My email. <laughs> <laughs> Catch this email. There you go. Gotta go hunting at gmail.com. Gotta go hunting. 
Okay, I am jealous right now. Let me just say that. I am jealous right now. What what do I have to do to get an email that says gotta go hunting at gmail.com? I'm serious. I talked to you sometime going like, man, maybe I need to be getting out of the rat race sooner than sooner than not. That's that's incredibly freeing. You just say anybody, hey, anybody and everybody, email me and here's the coolest email address you ever heard. I love that. <laughs> I'm a little smarter than you are. That's what. Uh, all right. Hey, guys, it's been fantastic. <laughs> Thanks for giving up your time. Hopefully people were helped. If they weren't helped, I don't care. It was fun being with you and have an excuse to have a beer in the middle of the afternoon. So that's it, boys and girls. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.